Well, on the 10th of December, the 10th of December, which was a bitterly cold day, two people walked into the woods. One was a young boy. His name was Robin. No older than eight or nine, third grade, fourth grade maybe. And Robin actually, <laughs> he still had the vivid imagination of a much younger child. And his plan for his time in the woods, it was beautiful. It was innocent. He wanted to play. The other person in the woods that day, arriving just a few minutes before Robin, was a 53-year-old man named Don. Don was a committed family man, a, a loving husband to Molly and a loving father to his two grown children, Tommy and Jody. And his plan for his time in the woods was quite a bit different than Robin's plan. He wanted to die. You see, Don was suffering. It was cancer and it was bad. The wicked disease and the hard chemo treatments were destroying his body, his mind, his soul, so much that, that Molly, his loving and devoted wife, felt actually a lot more like a nurse. You know, this wasn't the first time that Don had suffered in his life either. He thought often back to how hard it had been when his biological father, when he was just a young boy, had run off with someone else. Someone else, not his mother, his loving and committed mother, run off to California. That had been a season of suffering early in Don's life for sure. But then, almost out of nowhere, a reprieve in the midst of that season. Alan. Uh, Alan was just a guy, but he was just a guy who met Don's loving and committed mother and became Don's loving and committed stepfather. And he was everything that Don's biological dad wasn't. Alan was present. Alan was involved. Alan was patient. Alan was kind until he wasn't. Dementia does odd, terrible things to people. And it hit Alan hard. Dementia destroyed Alan just like cancer was destroying Don. Dementia sucked the soul out of Don's good, kind stepfather, leaving behind an empty shell, an angry shell, a mean, aggressive shell. Lately, grown-up, 53-year-old Don had been thinking a lot about Alan's last days, about how hard and difficult and stressful they were on him and his mom when he was a boy. And in a lot of ways, those thoughts were what led him to the woods that day to die. The thought had hit him a, a few nights before. You see, he had fallen out of his med bed that they had had to bring in specifically because of how bad he was physically. He had fallen out of his med bed again, and he couldn't help himself up. And as he lay there on the floor waiting for Molly, his wife-slash-nurse, the thought hit him. The thought came to him. The thought appeared. I could spare them. The young boy, Robin, he had been having different thoughts that led him to the woods that day. You see, there was this new girl in their class, Suzanne, a transfer from Canada, a one-of-a-kind girl who he was sure would like him if she would only notice him. And yes, she did call him Roger that one time that she was close enough to him to ask him to get out of the way. But that's not such a big deal, right? 
That's a funny story later when we're together and happily married with kids. Robin was in the woods with his pellet gun that day because he was pretty sure there were some dastardly woodland animals who were planning to make Suzanne a damsel in distress, but not on his watch. A good old-fashioned rescue. Well, that would make Suzanne notice him. But wait a second, wait a second, what's this? Robin approaches the pond that he's been to so many times in his life, sees the bench that he's seen so many times in his life, and notices something strange on the bench in the middle of a cold day, the 10th of December. It's a coat. Something was afoot. Then Robin beheld halfway up the hill a man, coatless, bald-headed man, super skinny, in what looked like pajamas, climbing the hill plodfully with tortoise patience. What kind of person leaves his coat behind on a day like this? Something was wrong here. A person needed a coat, even if the person was a grown-up. The pond was frozen, the duck thermometer said 10, but no matter, Robin snagged the coat off the bench. It was a rescue, a real rescue, at last, sort of. Robin grabs Don's coat and then does some quick calculations as he sees how far ahead of him Don is. It'll take way too long to go around the pond and up the hill to catch this man that needs his coat. And besides, even though she's not actually here, he'd still like to impress Suzanne. So what about that shortcut then across the lake? Dangerous, sure, but don't all heroes face a bit of danger on their rescues? Robin steps out onto the ice. Here's Don. This was it. Was it? Not yet. Soon, though. An hour, 40 minutes. Was he doing this? Really? He was. Was he? Would he be able to make it back to the car even if he changed his mind? He thought not. Here he was. He was here. This incredible opportunity to end things with dignity was right in his hands. All he had to do was stay put and wait. I will fight no more forever. No, no, no. Concentrate on the beauty of the pond, the beauty of the woods, the beauty you are returning to, the beauty that is everywhere as far as you can. Oh, for crying out loud, some kid was on the pond. Chubby kid in white with a pellet gun carrying, is that my coat? You little fart, put that coat down. Get your butt home. Mind your shoot. No, 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 don't do that. Kid tapped the ice with the butt of the gun. You wouldn't want some kid finding you. That could scar a kid. Uh-oh, kid was swimming. Wait, wait, swimming was not allowed. That was clearly posted. No swimming. Kid was a bad swimmer. A lot of thrashing going on down there. Kid was creating with his thrashing a rapidly expanding black pool. Which he, with each thrash, the kid incrementally expanded the boundary of the black. Don was on his way down before he knew that he'd even started. Kid in the pond, kid in the pond, kid in the pond, kid in the pond. His ran through his head over and over and over again as he limped down the hill. One step at a time. After what feels like forever, Don finally makes it back to the pond. And miraculously, he's able, even in his weakened state, to pull Robin out. He takes off his own clothes down to his undergarments to give to the boy because Robin's clothes have frozen at this point to blocks of ice. It's still not warm enough. Don looks back out on the ice and he sees the one piece of clothing that didn't fall into the water his coat. He scoots out on the ice, inch by inch by inch, knowing the danger, grabs the coat. Wraps up Robin in it, just like he used to wrap up Tommy 
when he was taking him to bed. Just like he used to wrap up Jody when he was taking her to bed. Don knows the boy has to get moving again so the blood will circulate again. They're both in shock. Robin, he, he finally snaps out of it. Enough to start walking and eventually autopilot kicks in. He knows these woods. He knows how to get home. In fact, he starts sprinting home. Well, Don hasn't been able to run for a very, very long time. Doesn't even try. The rescue over with. He sits down right where Robin departed from him in the woods and thinks that he's probably never going to move again. In the field near his house, his house actually in view, Robin suddenly and painfully realizes that he didn't make it out of the lake alone. He snaps back all of a sudden remembering Don and remembering what Don had done. Robin had bolted. He'd bolted on the old guy. Hadn't even given him a thought. Blimey. What a terrible thing to do. He had to go back right now. Help the old guy hobble out. But he was so tired. He wasn't sure he could do it. Probably the old guy was fine. Probably he had some sort of old guy plan. But he bolted. He couldn't live with that. His mind was telling him that the only way to undo the bolting was to go back now, save the boy. His body was saying something else. It's too far. You're just a kid. Get mom. Mom will know what to do. Well, Robin did get his mom. And his mom did know exactly what to do. Without hesitation, she grabs every coat and every blanket in the house and treks out to the woods to rescue the man who had rescued her son who had been trying to rescue the man. She pulls it off too. Moms always pull it off. Rescues upon rescues upon rescues. And finally, safe in the warmth of the stranger's home, here's Don one more time. He suddenly remembered that the cancer was as much in his head as ever. Oh, Lord, was still all that to go through. There was still all that to go through. Did he still want it? Did he still want to live? Yes, yes, oh God, yes, please. Because okay, the thing was, he saw it now, was starting to see it. If some guy at the end fell apart and said or did bad things or had to be helped, helped to quite a considerable extent, so what? What of it? Why should he not do or say weird things or look strange or disgusting? Why should the crap not run down his legs? Why should those he loved not lift and bend and feed and wipe him when he would gladly do the same for them? He'd been afraid to be lessened by the lifting and the bending and the feeding and the wiping. And of course, he was still afraid of yet. And yet, and yet, and yet at the same time, at the same time, he now saw that there could still be many, many drops of goodness is how the idea came to him. Many drops of happy, of good fellowship ahead. And those drops of fellowships were not and had never been his to withhold. Robin came out of the kitchen, lost in Don's big coat, pajama pants pooling around his feet with his boots now off. He took Don's bloody hand gently, said that he was sorry. Sorry for being such a dope in the woods. Sorry for running off. He'd just been out of it, kind of scared and all. Listen, Don said hoarsely, you did amazing. You did perfect. I'm here. Who did that? Well, there. That was something you could do. The kid maybe felt better now. He'd given the kid that, hadn't he? 
That was a reason. That was a reason. That was a reason to stay around, wasn't it? Can't console anyone if not around. Can't do squat if gone. Friends, The Tenth of December by George Saunders is one of the best short stories I've ever read in my entire life. Just in a real moment of honesty, I came across this story and like earlier this week as I was reading and preparing and, and learned of this story, I bawled like a baby. <laughs> Honestly, one of the best. And after hearing that summary of the story, you might say that the main point of it is rescue. Rescue. You wouldn't be wrong necessarily, but I actually think there's something a little bit deeper going on in this story. You see, the various rescues within the story, they move the plot forward, but I think there is a deeper theme at work. I think there's another thread that sits at the true beating heart of this story by George Saunders. You see, to me, the 10th of December is ultimately about kindness. The 10th of December is about kindness. And I think it's ultimately about kindness because of this. Kindness is so much more than nice. Kindness is so much more than nice. And I get the oddity of this statement. I understand how strange this sounds. I know that today, you and I, we basically use kind and nice as exact synonyms and parallels to one another, right? Like how many of you over here had a mom who on your way out to school when you were growing up, the last thing she yelled at you was, be kind, right? Or how many of you over here had a mom that on your way out to school, the last thing she said to you was, be nice, I mean, right? It's kind of like we use these ideas synonymously, these words as parallels of one another, but they're actually way different. And so you have to go with me on this. We have to actually understand the origins of these words. And the word nice, well, it comes from a Latin word. The word nice comes from a Latin word. It means unknowing or ignorant. And in older, more Middle English usage, it came a lot closer to mean something like the word foolish. So in that day and moment, someone who is deemed nice, they might be well-meaning, they might be sort of blandly agreeable, but they're also probably a little bit dull, a bit daft, a bit like out of it, right, if you know what I mean? Okay, that's nice, but on the other side of it, we've got kindness. Now listen to that word with me as we tease it out, right? Even think about how it's spelled, K-I-N, pause for a moment, kin, K-I-N, D-N-E-S-S. -S. Kindness comes, comes from the same root word that we get the word kin from. Do you see that? Kindness. And of course, I think we all know that kin is an old-timey word for what? Family. So to be kind to someone is to treat them, even though they're not, as part of your kin. To be kind to someone is to treat them as part of your family. That runs and that cuts a little bit deeper than mere niceness, doesn't it? I mean, think about it this way. Let's say, this has never happened to you. It's happened to me, never happened to you. Let's say you get a bad haircut. Go with me on it. I know you've never had a bad haircut in your life. There is no anxiety like the anxiety of having to go out in public the first time after you get a bad haircut. Can I get an amen in the room? Right, okay? Now, someone who is nice... What do they do? Oh, it doesn't look that bad, <laughs> right? 
that's nice. It's like, oh, really? You know, it's fine. No, I like the bangs were a good idea. <laughs> okay? Someone who is kind, what do they do? A loving friend takes you aside and in love says, those were a terrible idea, never do it again. Right? That we, you know this now. You understand, hopefully with me, right? The difference between nice and kind. Here's really what gets at the heart of it, right? Kindness demands the truth. Kindness deals in the truth. Nice with its history and our origin and connection in ignorance and foolishness, nice actually deals quite a bit more in deceit. Nice has nothing to do with truth. Kindness is all about truth. And in being all about truth, kindness also deals what is hard. Because a lot of times what is true is hard. A lot of times what is hard is life itself. Life is true. Life is hard. Reality is not nice. It's hard. And kindness deals in this arena. Nice is like off to the side lying about stuff. And that's why the 10th of December is not a nice story, but it's a kind story. It's not a nice story, but it's a kind story. Think back with me. Don, at first, thinks he's being kind to his biological family by sparing them from the messiness of caring for him as he suffers from cancer. And Robin, oh man. Robin is being kind to Don when he decides to rescue him by trying to catch up to him with his coat. Simple kindness of a kid. And then Don is abundantly kind. How quickly, without even realizing what he's doing, does he abandon his plan to limp down the hill? There's this line that I didn't include. It's so good. As he's limping down the hill, he trips over the, the root of a tree and he just curbs his chin. But he gets back up and he keeps going in abundant kindness to seek to rescue this young boy who is being kind to him. And then Robin's mom returns the kind rescue by getting Don out of the cold woods and into her warm home. And then finally safe by the warm fire, Don realizes if I were have to have proceeded with my plan, then I would be stealing and robbing all sorts of opportunities from Molly and my family and my friends to what? To be kind to me. And did you catch what he says? I would do this for them. I would be kind to them, and if I were to go forward with my plan, I would be stealing something that is not mine. I would be robbing them of the opportunities to be kind toward me. This is not a nice story, but it's a kind story. And it reminds me of another story, another not-so-nice, but really kind story. And this one comes to us from our Bibles. It's from the Old Testament portion of our Bibles, and it's 1 Kings chapter 17. I love this section of Scripture because one of my favorite characters, one of my favorite people in the Bible is on view. It's the prophet Elijah. Elijah. And Elijah, as a prophet, he was, he was God's messenger. Prophets were God's messengers, men and women who were called by God, equipped by God, empowered by God to speak God's truth and to speak God's kind truth and his messages to his people. And God had just told Elijah to speak a really hard ultimately kind because God is kind, an ultimately kind but difficult message to his people because of his people's disobedience and rebellion, there was going to be a really bad famine and a really bad drought. 
That's the beginning of 1 Kings 17. And we're picking up the story at a moment when God is kind to Elijah and he tells him to go to a little town next to a city because in that town next to the city, he has told a widow to care for and be kind to and feed Elijah. That's where we're entering in. As Elijah arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water? As she was going to get it, he called to her, can you bring me a bite of bread too? But the widow said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. In fact, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. And friends, what God says, God does. So the widow did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days, which is like a mundane like sentence, but don't miss the miracle of it. There was no more flour, there was no more oil, but God said there would be, so there was. Like, do you track with that? Like, it, like she just continued to eat for many days. I am blown away by this story, and I'm most blown away by what I've highlighted on the screen. So she did what Elijah said. Sure, Elijah had showed up and said, hey, listen, lady, if you feed me first, there's going to be this insane miracle that happens that continues to provide the sustenance that you and your son need. How did she know that he wasn't just lying? How did she know that he was who he said he was? How did she know that he spoke for the Lord God Most High who had the power to regenerate oil and to regenerate flour? Here's the answer. She didn't know. This was a massive step of faith that she was taking in kindness towards Elijah. I'm blown away by this. I think this is incredible. And it's actually not the end of the story. She treats Elijah like family, like her kin, right? She feeds him first, even before her only son, and then, in fact, Elijah like moves in and she continues to feed him and he becomes like a member of the family. The story's not done yet. Follow again along with me as we enter back into the text. Well, sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse and finally he died. Then the widow said to Elijah, Oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and to kill my son? But Elijah replied, Give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms and he carried him up the stairs to the room where he, Elijah, was staying and he laid the boy's body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, who has been kind to me, who has treated me as family? Why have you caused her son to die? Don't ever think you can't ask God hard questions. Elijah's asking God a hard question. And Elijah stretched himself out over the child three times. And Elijah stretched himself over the child three times and he cried out again to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. 
And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned. And the boy revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. It was Elijah's chance to be kind, wasn't it? His life was saved by the incredible, normal, mundane kindness of the widow. At that point, a miracle hadn't happened. The woman took a step of kind faith and said, I'm going to trust that you are who you say you are. I'm going to trust that God will provide. But there was no miracle yet. It was a totally normal, mundane bit of kindness, but Elijah's life was saved by it. And now, in repayment, right, Elijah seeks to save the life of her son by a miraculous bit of kindness as he cries out to and prays to God to perform, like, do you, did you get it? A resurrection. The boy's dead. He's not like in a deep sleep or a coma. He is dead. And Elijah takes him up to the room and says, I know he's dead, but God, I know that you are stronger than death. I know that you reign even over that realm. And so God, how could you do this? How could you allow this tragedy to happen? Give this woman the kindness of a resurrection, a miraculous resurrection. Give her the kindness of that. That's a Mount Everest-sized prayer. And Elijah prays it. And in his providence, God answers it. The life of the child returned. What a moment. What a miracle. What a kindness. You know, I've highlighted the phrase three times on the screen because it reminded me of another instance of God's kindness over death. Track with me on this. Follow me. As Elijah stretched out his body over the death of the boy three times, so too Jesus stretched out his body over death itself for three days. Can I say that again so you don't miss it? As Elijah stretched out his body over the death of the boy three times, so Jesus stretched out his body over death itself for three days. And in both instances, y'all, in both instances, death was soundly and kindly defeated. Soundly and kindly defeated. And I just wonder, for you, I know the answer to this for me, but for you, is there any greater kindness? Is there any greater kindness in the whole history of humanity than Jesus' sacrificial death and miraculous resurrection? I know the answer to that question for me, but I'm asking it for you. Is there any greater kindness that has ever existed than that? Right? If kindness is kindness, if kindness is family, follow the trajectory of that with me. Right? We, God's our Father, the creator and sustainer of all things. That's the origin point. And from the origin is the Father. God is the Father, but what did we do? We ran away. We rebelled. We were sons and daughters, but in our sin, we're no longer. In our sin, we are what? In our sin, we are enemies. In our sin, we are rebels. In our sin, we are not sons or daughters anymore. We are opposed to God our Father. You tracking with the family thing with me here? Right? But then what did God do? In the ultimate display of kindness ever, He took his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And he said, hey, go get the rest of our family back. Go live the life that they couldn't live. Go die the death that they deserved. 
And oh, by the way, while you're there, let's just like defeat death once and for all. Let's do that too. And in that kindness, we will create a pathway forward, a pathway back home for all of your brothers and sisters that ran away. Anyone ever done anything more kind to you than that? The ultimate kindness. That's the pathway home. Are you there yet? Have you walked it? Have you received the Lord's kindness in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? Have you placed your faith and trust there? If you have, you've walked the pathway and you are in the household once again, sitting by the Father. As a son, as a daughter, if not, why not? Why are you holding back on receiving that kindness? What could be better than that? Who is going to be more kind to you? That's the pathway home. That's the way back into the family. You know, we're in the middle of our, this is our third week, third week, week number three in our teaching series, The Good Life. We're examining how virtues, I've defined virtues as habits of excellence, are a pathway themselves to living the good life that we all desire to live, right? We've talked about this. Everyone wants to live a good life. Not everybody does. That's kind of interesting. Let's ask the question, why and how? How do we live that good life that we all at our deepest core want to live, right? And the virtues are a pathway towards that. The habits of excellence that have manifested most perfectly actually in the person of Jesus himself and his life, that's one of the pathways to this good life, right? And friends, as I look around, we desperately need the virtue of kindness. I'm done with nice. Cancel it for me. I'm out on nice, but do we not need kindness? Like, I just see so little of that. I see a lot of nice and I see very little kindness. And so hopefully you're with me. Even if you're not with me on the Jesus stuff, I get it, right? That's me, but I don't know, right? Like, hopefully we can all agree, man, it'd be really nice if the warrior family, like, meant that we were a kind family in a genuine, actual way. It'd be transformative to this campus. It'd be transformative to this family. So the question for us this morning is, will you respond positively? Will you say yes to the call to kindness? Will you do it? Will you say yes to the call to kindness? I need kindness. You need kindness. We all need kindness, right? I actually think that in kindness, I think kindness helps us defeat death. I think we see that in, in the short story from George Saunders, the 10th of December. I think we see that in 1 Kings 17, and I think we see it powerfully and definitively in the story of Jesus. And death is a monster. It's the absolute worst. But together, in genuine, actual kindness, we can start taking some swings at death together. Does that not sound like a journey you want to go on? I know I do. And I hope that you're with me. Because you need kindness. I need kindness. We all need kindness. So how are you going to respond to the call for kindness? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for all of your kindnesses towards us. So many of them. They culminate in the person, the life, the death, the resurrection of your son Jesus. Thank you for Jesus. Not only was that an incredible act of kindness, you sending him to create a pathway forward 
for us to go back into the family. But man, did Jesus live a kind life as well. He's our example and He's our Savior. I pray, Father, for each and every person in this room. All of us equally desperately need kindness. So help us to find it in You and in Jesus. Help us to find it in this community, in this family, in this college. May we all be kind, Lord. Let's leave nice at the door. May we all be kind. Genuinely kind. And may that transform our hearts, our lives, and this campus. We pray all of these things in the name of your kind Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.